Hey, welcome everyone to another episode of Doze Nose. This episode is being brought to you in part by our friends at Kona Boys. Uh, green organic energy drink, Hurley, Oakley, GoPro, Kona Coffee and Tea, Deuce Gym, Mokalele Airlines, Ultimate Predator Gear, and Original Nutritionals. Um, don't forget, if you're ever in Kona, you want to catch that thousand pound marlin, go check out Maverick Sport Fishing. Captain Trevor Child, man, he's got the sickest fucking boat in the harbor, um, on the water. He catches so many freaking fish. You can find him on Instagram or Facebook at Maverick Sport Fishing, and you can see all the kinds of cool stuff. You guys want to catch Mai Mai, Pacific Blue Marlin, Ono, Ahi, you name it, you're going to catch it on this boat. These guys are rad. Give them a call, 808-896-7985. Or find him at mavericksportfishingkona.com. Tell him you heard it on Doze Nose. He's going to get you hooked up. Literally going to give you a killer deal. And uh, make sure that you guys have a blast. Don't forget, you can find me on all social media, such as Dozer Dave and Doze Nose Podcast. On Instagram, on Facebook, it's Dozer Dave Barnett and Doze Nose. On Twitter, it's Dozer Dave Nose. And uh, you can always go to my website, check that out at doznose.com, where you can see a more in-depth look at our guests, links to our sponsors, all kinds of killer deals that they throw out there, killer promo codes, so you want to listen to the end, so you can see who's got the best promo codes, and what kind of deals that we're throwing out there. We've got some really good ones coming up here, uh, starting next month, and I'm really excited about it. I think you're going to be really excited about it. I think people are going to be blowing up these promo codes because it's going to save them a bunch of money. So, um, speaking of that, I have got a really good friend on this week. Uh, it's my buddy Jacob Muse, and he's the co-founder of the Hikinui Project. And um, so what we're, what we're doing right now is we're going to kind of help promote this thing and get this thing going with a Kickstarter project and uh, it's something that's going to help feed thousands of locals with grass-fed organic cattle and it's going to help restore the forest and the natural watersheds of Maui you know without the animals just being slaughtered and left to rot you know these guys are going to make sure that they're all brought to your table if you live in Hawaii um, they want to help everybody they want to see that that these things are going to a good place and in good use and not just wasted because um, that's what the state wants to do. They want to go in there and they just want to waste everything and let it rot. And we're going, no, 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 no. Let's do this. Let's try this out. And, uh, and let's bring the food back to the people. Okay. And uh, make sure people are fed and, it's a really, really good project. And um, I need you guys to help support this cause with your donations. And uh, know that this is all coming back to us, man. Um, go check out their uh, their information on on Instagram at the Kahiki Nui Project. And you guys are probably wondering, how the fuck do I spell that? Well, it's at T-H-E, the, the, um, Kahiki Nui, which is spelled K-A-H-I. K-I-N-U-I and then Project. Um, you can also go to their website at www.kahikinuiproject.com um, and you can see more in depth on all that kind of stuff. But Jake's going to tell us all about this stuff right now and I'm really excited. 
And we've got other kinds of cool stories we're going to talk about, too. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. Jake is such a cool cat. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to have him on the show. So, Jake, welcome to Doze Knows. Jake, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, Dozer. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, we're sitting here, we've been bullshitting for a while. Yeah, we should have started this 20 minutes ago. We should have started a long <laughs> yeah. time ago. But, you know, we're talking wolf stories and and the story uh, of me be, just coming back from Idaho and getting surrounded by wolves. And, and no elk. And no elk. And it was scary as shit. Absolutely, you know? man. These things, their paws, they look like the size of grapefruits. You know, they're huge. But you were telling, you were just starting to tell me a story, which I want everybody else to hear. Yeah, so we um, we were doing a project on the Big Island. Uh, those deer that were illegally introduced, right? And we're like halfway through the project, and we get a call from Fish and Wildlife, and they're like, "Hey, just a heads up, there's a timber wolf in your area." A timber wolf, and it's on and the Big Island. On the Big Island, I remember it's like six in the morning, and we had been up all night, and and, and I kind of hang up the phone, and I tell the boys like, "Okay." The Fish and Wildlife just called and said there's a timber wolf in the area. If we see it, shoot it. And the boys are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so apparently, three years prior, somebody slips a timber wolf pup in through DOA, like writing it off as a husky or something, takes it into the Ocean View community and is crossbreeding it with pit bulls as, as hunting dogs. But it had had it. It had it like locked up for a long period of time, and right. apparently it got out. It was in the Ocean View area, and it was going around the neighborhood eating the other dogs. Oh my god! So that's how everybody knew about it. Was they were seeing this thing, which this, is a monstrosity. It's huge. Yeah, these timber wolves are massive. Right. Um, they were seeing this thing eating like their dogs and stuff. Ooh. So they weren't really sure what was going on, but but the story we had heard. Um, was it was going back and forth, and then one morning it was out. He had killed two huge pit bulls by itself. Wow. It had dragged them under a tree, and it was there eating them, and they called it in, and Fish and Wildlife have, had enough time to come and shoot it. Right. But it was like right next door to where we were working, and apparently that thing was just roaming around Ocean View. That Imagine crazy. driving up the street and seeing a like timber wolf eating a pit bull? Oh my God. <laughs> just be like, so where the hell do I live? Like, That's so, so yeah, it was, it was kind of gnarly. I mean, we've, I mean, we, you see a bunch of crazy stuff out there. I think people slip in things all the time through DOA, man. Well, that's, you know, how our sheep got here. Or Absolutely. Our, our, well, not our sheep, really, but Mouflon to Maui. Because the guy was slipping them in yeah. while he was slipping in deer over exactly. here. Exactly. So it was a, ended up being a little bit of a trade program where they were bringing over 
deer and then they were sending you know purebred mouflon back to maui right um now what was the, there was no laws about bringing deer here at, at the time at the time there wasn't man yeah so there wasn't uh technically it wasn't illegal what they ended up getting those guys on was a bunch of minor stuff but they got the pilot on something completely unrelated and they tied it in it was a honestly it was a bunch of bullshit so yeah the pilot who who was a good buddy of ours um or ended up being a really good friend of ours after because we had to sit his fine was 500 hours of flight time <sighs> helicopters are like 1400 bucks an hour wow and he was just the intermediary like he, he had to pay for the fuel too yeah he had to pay for everything oh my god so we sat in that helicopter with him for like a year straight so he ended up being like you know, we ended up being really good buddies, and he was the one that ended up getting, you know, the, the short end of the stick in the end. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, but he. Um, What's fuel cost? Uh, huge. Yeah, jet it's, fuel. It's huge. Yeah, it's jet fuel, jet A. Wow. Yeah, so he was out, you know, three or four hundred thousand dollars, and the two guys that actually organized it got a slap on a wrist and, and a little bit of. I think they got some community service with some of the conservation issues because there wasn't any laws against it. Right. Now there certainly is. Was that the camo helicopter or was that, that a different one? That was, so he actually, he used a couple different helicopters for it. He used, which was crazy, he used his, um, oh, what is the name of it? It's super old. How, how did he carry him? Were were they in baskets or no, dude? They had just him, threw him in the they, back. Seat? They had him in huge dog kennels. Okay, and they threw him in the back seat of his of his. Um, sorry, dude, I'm drawing oh, the helicopter. Line. What are the old school military helicopters? Called? Right, right, the right, big ones. Yeah, the not Blackhawks. Not Blackhawks. The one before that, <sighs> Chinook. <sighs> no, the one, was the one before that. Blades. Yeah, he's. Anyway, they're the huge ones with the big cargo bays in the back. Right, he lands that thing. Christmas morning, everybody was having like a big Christmas party. Uh -huh. He lands that thing right in the back of Kau, like a quarter mile behind town, thinking like, because he... Nobody's going to see me here. No, but it wasn't even that. He <laughs> knew everybody was going to see. He didn't assume anything was wrong with it because there was no laws against it. Right. So he didn't give a shit. Yeah. So he dropped them off and then he picked up a bunch of mouflon and then a second time, I guess, he was flying. He had a little biplane and he picks up some more fluid. I mean, it wasn't his fault. Right. Yeah, it was the guys organizing it, and, and you know there was there was no laws against it at the time, but yeah, they they've certainly buttoned that up now. So we're not going to see any animals being introduced without at least state approval. Well, you were forward. working for the state for a while, obviously, because you were in charge leading up this whole team of eradicators. Yeah, for the deer. Yeah, that this guy brought in yeah. on the Big Island. Absolutely. And how'd that go? Well, I mean, as far as we know, there wasn't any when we left, but it's it's a big, big island. Yeah. I mean, we were we were we were tasked with staying really focused in the Kau area mm -hmm. where those animals were dropped off. They dropped off three. We got four. I mean, they had already procreated. There was already like a keiki that we got. Right. Um, but do you do you think people have been dropping them here for a while? They're really good swimmers. <laughs> I mean. Any any plane can come in and out. Like I said, it's a big, big island. We've right. got, I think while we were there, we got over like 27 different like credible sightings wow. in other areas on the big island. Yeah. And we followed up on a bunch of them, but a lot of our funding at the time was to stay focused in Kau. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we didn't get a chance to follow up on. So there's a good chance we could still have deer here. 
Yeah, I let's mean, hope so. It's really hard to say because it gets luckily for me. Yeah. it's easy because I'm sponsored by Mokalele Airlines. <laughs> yeah, I can freaking jump on a plane. I can go to Maui, Lanai, Molokai, and just yeah. shoot away. Yeah, but it's so much easier in your own backyard when you can just drive there yeah, and, it's, and just you know it's a double edged sword because I've seen both of it. Like you know, I grew up, I grew up in northern Canada mm-hmm. in like a super small community, so I know the importance of like subsistence meat. I got super lucky when I came to UH that. I was hanaied by a family on Molokai. So, like, I would have starved through college without that meat. Right. But on the complete opposite spectrum of what we do, I see what they do from, like, an ag standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, we had a call the other day on Maui. This guy had a huge um, vegetable. It was, the it was a lettuce. The started to come down. Coming here. down, yeah. It had a huge lettuce crop. He'd been working on it for, like, three and a half months. He had a full seven-foot fence around the whole place. Still it, got over 15 deer jump in, his whole crop is gone. Whoa. You know, on Molokai, if you, Molokai, now the strawberry farmers are doing 12-foot fences. So it's just, it's a give yeah. and take, right? And, yeah. and that's a big function of what we do is, is to try and figure out how to properly manage them. And right. by no means are we at the point where we're, we say we know exactly what we're doing or and we got a lot to learn, mm-hmm. but at least we're having a positive impact where there's a balance. Right. It isn't necessarily, you know, just either one way or the other. Which well, you and I have a mutual friend, BJ. Yeah. And uh, BJ's over at Haleakala Ranch. Yeah. And so you've, the last couple of years, you actually started something that was pretty cool. Some people would say it's cool. Some people would say no, yeah. you know. There's been two opposing sides for sure. Um, where you're going in to help thin out some of these herds. Yeah. You know, on Ulapalakua, on Haleakala and some of the other ranches. Yeah. And, and BJ, I was talking to him before he got over here, and he says he wants to smell your beard, by the way. What he's the like, fuck? <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, tell Jake, I want to smell his beard. I said, well, his beard just happens to be on his nutsack. Yeah, so, like if he wants to smell that freak. one, we've got bigger issues, man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, he's funny. I nah, love he's him a good guy, death. man. I love him to death. Yeah. And, um, so he was telling me, you know, uh, how good it is from a rancher's perspective. Yeah. You know, because he has seen literally multiple, multiple herds of not just 25, 50, yeah. 100, 500, 1,000, 2,000 deer. Yeah. Multiple herds of 2,000 deer just come through and just wipe out all the grass. There's no grass left. Yeah. And they just do so much massive damage. Cattle are dying. Yeah. Um, and just they have no regard for anything out there. Exactly. So and, and so it's what we try and do, and, and that was where it was really important for us to develop a means, and we actually did it during the deer project because mm-hmm. during the deer project they said, Hey, we've got three deer on the in an area the size of Molokai. Can you find them? Right. And we were like, What the hell are you talking about? Like we we had some pretty good experience, but to that point that was that was pretty extraordinary task. Mm-hmm. So we had to figure out how to detect these animals, you know, in large landscapes. And that's where we did develop that flur technology. Super, super thick brush. Super thick brush. I mean. You get into that Christmas berry is or that the windblown cavity and Christmas yeah. berry. You can't see anything. So the technology we have now to within like 95%, we can tell you exactly the number of animals are there. So when we go to wow. work for somebody like a Haleakala Ranch, mm-hmm. we walk into that scenario and we say, first thing we do is we do a survey and we say, this is how many deer you have. We're able to sell those deer for the human consumption. We make jerky. We were just chewing on some of that earlier. Right. Um, Which was so, so yeah. good, man. So we're able to say, this is how much this animal is worth. 
they know how much it's costing them in all of that dry feed, all of that grass they're losing. Mm-hmm. And we then we say to them, how many do you want? Right. And then that way, we're leaving it up to them and there isn't any guesswork. Right. It's, you know, we want 800 deer in this area. We want 1,200 deer in this area because they do. There's huge value for those board members to go hunting. Sure. There's huge value for guests, for those guys. And they say, you know, we only want you shooting spikes in those. So you mm-hmm. can proliferate those large bucks. Right. So it's actual management. Right. It isn't, you know, all or nothing, which, you know, has been the case in the past with a lot of now, places. Can you tell that if through your, because what, what we're talking about are these like military grade. Yeah. Infrared, like are they what, goggles? So or, we've got goggles and scopes. attachments onto your helicopters. So it's the one, our primary one is like a goggle and we use that out of the helicopter. Okay. And like like I said earlier, at seven miles, we can tell you the difference between like a goat and a deer. Right. Which is, which is pretty crazy. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. And so at like 100 yards or 200 yards, you can pick up like individual hairs. So like when we wow. go out with, so we bring the USDA out with us, we can tell if that animal is sick, if uh-huh. they got an abscess, if the does are pregnant. So we can wow. tell all of those things. So we can tell how big the bucks are. So we, it makes or it. Or if it's a pulley, you know. Exactly. Uh, you know, malform or Exactly. Whatever. So yeah. we have like unbelievable situational awareness, which allows us to make like really good decisions, yeah. which is what management should be. Yeah. So like we've seen some absolute monsters. Oh, I'm sure. And then we get the hunters coming after us like, ah, oh, there's no more deer out here. And we're like, hmm. You're just not walking far enough. Like yep. seeing absolute monsters. And all of my crew are bow hunters. Uh-huh. Not one of those guys wants to shoot a 35-inch buck at night. Right. For two purposes. One, it, it doesn't work with, it's actually the portion size for the meat is too big. Right. So we can't sell it to the restaurants. And two, they want to shoot that thing with their bow during the day yeah. and have to work their ass off to get that animal. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, it's it's been a really good mix. You know, I'll be the first one to say like we've had a lot to learn along the way, mm-hmm. um, but we're at the point now where we're actually, I think, having concise management. We're able to say, you know, this is how many are here. We're able to change with, like you said, right now it's super green on Maui, right? So everybody's pumped. There's grass for everybody, everything else. But if a things get comes, super dry and again, you can switch like that exactly. And those ranches are the only source of water, right, for all of these deer. Again, it's it's a balance because those ranches, I mean, that's BJ's livelihood, right? Mm-hmm. If that deer, you know, ruin all of those pastures or, you know, I've seen BJ fixing fences like hundreds of times because those, yeah. those deer slam into those fences. So they're continually fixing fences. Um, yeah. So it's, it's more about balance. Like we don't even try and use that eradication word. Like it has nothing to do with what it is we're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. So. I'm just checking levels on here. Yeah, no worries. So if if you see me go like this, it's just keep talking, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's that's what BJ said too. He's having massive fencing problems, and especially when you have a herd of two thousand come in and just wipe everything out. You yeah, know, they take crazy. all the water, they take all the food. Yeah, leave their cattle starving and dying. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, you know, you guys have done just an incredible job of thinning out those numbers but also still maintaining the proper yeah. style of herd that you know we as hunters yeah. want. Well, and so. we and a big part of that that I think probably one of the things I enjoy most is you walk into those meeting with those ranchers who, mm-hmm. who just don't have a solution and they're you know like I said their livelihood is at stake. Like we walked into some of those meetings and they're calling deer spotted rats. Really? And 
as somebody that, like I said, I would have starved through college without that animal, you know, you kind of take that personally. Yeah. And by the time the meeting is over, that animal has value. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're seeing it as an asset and something that can actually be managed. And that's the coolest thing is in a you know, time span of 30 minutes, seeing that change in somebody's thought process. Um, that's for sure one of the best things about what it is we do. And it happens every single time we have a conversation with anybody because they're calling us because that animal is a liability, right. because it is a nuisance. And by the time you're done, it's, it's an acid and it can be turned into a food resource, right. which, I mean, we need, man. Absolutely. It, now, let's talk about, um, you know, uh, the food resource part of it. Okay. You know, one of the problems that we've always had here in Hawaii is, you know, our, our deer. It's so good. We oh, all know it. It's so good, the man. best deer you can eat on the entire planet, if not some of the best meat ever. Yeah. Um, they're super sweet, delicious. Uh, trying to get a USDA guy out here. Um you know, because of course everybody's like, I want this in my stores. Yep. I want to sell it in my restaurants. Yeah, um, it hasn't been able to happen because you can't ever get USDA inspectors out here to do it. But you have. Yeah. How so did you get that going? It was a long process, and it took a pretty big investment on our part, like up front. So uh-huh. basically, basically, we had to show, which was the biggest stumbling block, is we had to show that we could do everything exactly the same way they do in a brick and mortar, like in a regular slaughter facility in the middle of the bushes. Right. So we had to show them that we could shoot them in the head. Like the, the rule is render them immediately unconscious. Right. So there's step number one is you have to be able to do that with a wild animal that's in a non-stress situation. So that's why we use those, that, those FLIR scopes mm-hmm. because we're able to come up over a hill, stop, turn everything off. The inspector is able to look at all those animals, say that, yeah, they're all healthy. Right. Everything looks good. And then we're able to shoot several of them in the head. And that's an animal that is not stressed. Right. Like that is a truly wild animal. No that adrenaline. There's nothing. And there's tons of science. Like all of the ranches are now turning away from, you know, all of the aggressive cowboying right. because they're finding that the rougher they treat them and the more stress in the animals, the worse the meat quality is. Right. Like there's a direct link now. Sure, absolutely. So we've got one thing that was kind of unexpected is a ton of chefs are telling us we have the absolute best meat quality on the market, but it's only a function of that animal is not stressed because if it was, uh-huh. that motherfucker would run away. Oh, absolutely. Right? So we're only shooting the animals that are stressed and... I mean, it might be a little... Not stressed. Not stressed, sorry, yeah. yeah. It might be a little philosophical, but we don't interact with them. Right. We don't pen them. We don't fence them up. When we come up over the hill, that animal made the choice to be there. Right. So if he's there and he's, he's not stressed and we're able to execute what we do, that's an animal that somebody can eat. Okay, so what's the next process? So next step is it goes in the bike okay. or in the truck. We have to... Because it's some pretty rough areas. It's really rough. So yeah. actually, the next step is we got to we got to run out and bleed it. Okay. We have to so we cannot damage any of the meat. Right. So we put that thing on our back, and doesn't matter how far it is away, we walk that thing on our back gotcha. to wherever the vehicle is, and then we have a state of the art mobile slaughter facility. Really, that's like thirty feet long. It has absolutely everything we need. Like. 180 degree water. It's got a freezer that'll drop down to 20 degrees. It's got everything we need. And we can haul that thing with our Ram 3500. Wow. 
anywhere in any of the ranches. And so what that allows us to do is it allows us to go out, get those animals, and then bring them back immediately to that mobile slaughter facility, mm-hmm. get them skinned, get them clean, get it all checked by the USDA, goes in the freezer, gets a stamp on it, right. and that animal is, now, is ready to go. Now, does he go out there with you in the evenings? Yeah. So every time you guys bring that trailer out, you guys are going to do a hunt. He's with He's us. He's with you. So, and like, How tough was that to make that happen? There was a couple trials, so we, we eased them into it. Like We started with the trucks. Right. Because, you know, at least it was comfy. and I mean, it's freezing at night, especially nowadays. Yeah. yeah. And... It can be pouring rain and all these things. So we started with the trucks, and but our our side by side, we have like a Yamaha Viking. It's those those three seaters. Right, is the best platform to shoot off, and we're most accurate. So we just kind of eased him in and said one night, "Hey, why don't we ride in the bike?" And he's like, "Absolutely." But you're going through like knee high to like head high grass. Right. He now comes in, and you don't know what's in front of you. You got no like we've we've had a couple mishaps. Yeah. He now comes in like a full bodysuit of rain like you only part of his head you see is his eyes wow because he is like completely covered in pollen grass bugs blood usually by the end of the night like mm-hmm. so it's been like a really innovative process but basically the benchmark was they now have usda inspectors coming in from all over the u.s who's paying for it we do you pay for these inspectors to come yeah so work with you yeah so in like a regular slaughter facility with like a cow, okay. the USDA is obligated to do an inspection. It's called a mandatory inspection. Right. So they pay for it. But because exotic animals are voluntary, so we are voluntary, like voluntarily going through this process, we have to pay 90 bucks an hour. Wow. So it's an expensive process. So, you know, we wish, you know, we could get it into the KTAs or the Sackensays for mm-hmm. four or five bucks, but it's just not... It's just not possible at the moment. Right. As we grow, that might be a possibility. But what's it selling for right now in the stores? Anywhere from well, it's not in the stores. Not even in Maui. No, I mean we've got. So we were in the middle of switching jerky processors, but our jerky we figured out how to retail it for like average, like it's the exact same thing as like an Epic Bar or something yeah. else you'd see out there, which is awesome. But like the rib racks and all of that stuff, they're going in the restaurants. You know, they're fifteen to twenty bucks a pound. Oh yeah, yeah, and but that is a function of growing as a business. Mm-hmm. Like we're one, we're one group of guys with one trailer and Maui has anywhere from 30 to say 40,000 deer right now island-wide. Right. Maui's going to have 220,000 deer. <sighs> we could have like four trailers in the future. Right. And, but that's the only way you're actually going to be managing them. How fast are these deer growing every year? So it's... it's or multiplying. Yeah, so... On average, it's at about 30 to 31%. Wow. So on islands like Molokai and, and Lanai that have had deer and are at carrying capacity, so right. deer come to Molokai in the late 1800s, they reach carrying capacity in like the 30s or 40s. Mm. They're only going up and down with available feed and, sure. and you know the number of keikis that are dying. There's 60 to for sure 70,000 deer on Molokai. Wow. There's only 7,000 people. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so same, so so same thing, huge ag problem, but huge food resource. Right. So same thing on Lanai. We did a full population assessment of Lanai, every single nook and cranny of that entire place. There's 21,000 deer and there's about 7,000 mouflon. Wow. And you know Lanai, like when that place gets dry, there isn't a blade of grass in the whole place. Oh no. So Maui doesn't get deer till the late sixties, early seventies. Mm-hmm obviously a much larger area and they're on like the bottom of that scary curve that's going to go straight up right but 
the biggest issue other than ag and, and all the other things we've talked about is those two highways on, on yeah. Maui, you do 70 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. So, so they've already started to notice now that A and B has shut down. So all of those fields are going fallow. Right. So those deer are starting to creep in, and they're starting to see them on the edge of the highways. And those fields are sugarcane fields. Yeah, those sugarcane fields that are no longer... World-famous sugarcane fields. Anything but, you know, they're just weeds and scrub now. Right. And we, we were coming down the highway the other day. We finished up work for a week, and some lady had wrapped her car around a spike, hmm. and, like, the car was almost in half. Now, when you get areas like that, and now it's no longer sugarcane fields. Yeah. It's just grown over. It's grass. There's nobody in there. No predators. No nothing. Nothing. They're feeling great. Yeah. There's water down there. Yeah. They're not being pressured. That's so you when, see those population levels rise. Yeah. So that's that's when you see that thirty to thirty one percent on those increases. Right. Like on somewhere like Molokai, you're talking about more like maybe like fifteen or fourteen percent uh-huh. because they're at carrying capacity and there isn't enough feed for all of the keikis that get born. But on somewhere like Maui, they're going to be like on the max growth curve until they. Until they until they tap out. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's an issue that, again, like we said, it's double sided. You're sitting here telling me, oh man, I wish we had deer on the Big Island, right? And because it is, it's an incredible food resource. I mean, we've all, I mean, we've been eating axis deer know, for years. But you know, having you know, we're in the early stages of having deer on the island. If there are still deer here, exactly. which we hope. Yeah. So right now is the time. And which we're going to get into later. Yeah. Okay. But right now is the time where we start properly setting up a good management system. Exactly. So that, you know, ranchers are happy. Hunters are happy. Yeah. You know, USDA guys are freaking happy. They're yeah. over here all the time and it's not just, it's, it's a full on deal. Exactly. So, and, and it's going to be, it's a, it's a tough argument because, you know, the idea is, oh, can we actually managing them on that large a scale mm-hmm. but that's certainly as a company something we'd like to work towards is is being able to on an island-wide scale like maui right be able to actually manage the population and you've been able to do that so far in the areas where some we're of these ranches yeah and that's only now a function of capacity and that's managing not just in these ranches that want a balanced population but in our critical watershed areas there needs to be no animals like right. i'm a firm believer in that i mean i was driving here I see the sign on the top of your street, and you guys are on a water restriction. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. We've been on it for a while. Exactly. We got wells down all over the place. There's, we're the most isolated landmass on earth. Like, we need our water. Right. And our forests, when they get too many animals in them, you know, they don't process water the same way. Forests are, you know, some of the forests that we're going to restore are 10 times more likely to capture water than otherwise. So, it's just one of those things where there's got to be a balance between these areas that, you know, watersheds are super important to maintain, but there's areas that are these lowland areas that aren't critical watershed that should definitely be places where we can, you know, cultivate these animals as a food resource. Those are just left me hanging right now. Motherfucker's taking a piss. <laughs> <laughs> I, finished, I gave you that roll on just I finished going, my dude. thought dude <laughs> <laughs> that rain's pouring down so hard I was just like shit we had 
you guys excuse need, me we had a corona too you guys need it man oh yeah <laughs> i was just like okay just keep talking for a second yeah. and you can roll yeah but then you ran out i, I like, got i got most of it dude i was trying to pinch one uh, pinch it off i'm not i'm not that experienced with these podcasts man <sighs> that's all right you're doing a great job but you know you're talking about um this water restrictions that we're having right now yeah and uh talking about managing animals and you know i know uh, I've got friends that work for the DLNR. So do yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, but they here's the deal: they do a shitty freaking job One of 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 managing animals here. Um, they freaking spend all this money to go send you to kill these freaking deer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When we have major problems other than the freaking deer that are only a few of them at the time. Our goat situation it's bonkers. is out of freaking control. Yeah. They're all the way into Kona Town right now. Wow. Yeah. You'll see them um, all around the airport. Um, now they're all the way down past Kalakaia High School, down to Polani Road. Somebody was just showing, I saw them, and somebody was posting pictures the other day. They're at Polani and Henry. What the heck? You know? <laughs> Um, they're coming in from the Malka side on the other side, coming yeah. down towards Banyans and Lyman's. Yeah. And from Cahoe's side, yeah, we're just being inundated with these animals that it's, don't even give a shit. No, They dude. climb trees. They will eat every anything, single thing. Anything, And yeah. they're too worried about freaking trying to get rid of the deer and the sheep. Yeah. Who, who, who the sheep are just eat the grass. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's such a tough topic because, you know, I listened to the podcast you had with Kohatsu. Right. Super smart dude. He's in the middle of it, banging his head against the wall, trying right. to make something happen. And, and ultimately, it just boils down to when you go to Idaho and, and hunt elk, that animal is a native species. Right. That state is mandated to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Like, they got to take care of that. Right. That's not the case here. We have no native animals. Our, our state is not mandated to take care of that animal. So that's reflective in their management style. I mean, they get money every year for, like, quote-unquote game management. Right. But ultimately... It's not one of their primary initiatives. Mm-hmm. Their primary initiative is to take care of what's native, and that's that's our forest. So that's where, you know, you got to feel for Kohatsu, and he's going to keep banging his head against the wall. But we need guys like that, right? And we need you know projects like the one I was telling you about earlier, where it brings more exposure to the value of these animals. Mm-hmm. Because if you have enough people talking about that, it's I think it's no different than you guys got enough people talking about. There's these huge issues on the mainland right now with like river gorges and some of these other areas that like kayakers are trying to save or mountain bikers are trying to save. When people find value in those natural places, your government agencies have to take care of them. Sure. But you also kind of need these animals. They've, they've, been here for, they've been here for a long time. A long time. Okay. So now they've gone in. They've ate things down. They actually keep fire hazards down. Absolutely. Um, if you properly manage them in there. Yeah. Um, you have places that come in like Volcanoes National Park that just scored Cuckoo Ranch. Yeah. So their whole deal is we want to get all of the... Uh, sheep. The sheep, the pigs, the cattle, everything out of there. Yeah. Uh, fence off the whole entire property. Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen then? You know, everything grows up. It gets super thick. Now we're talking fire hazards. Yeah. Um, you kind of ha- have to have a balance. Well, and that's and that's why, like you know, the majority of these projects are grant funded. Uh-huh. So they get this huge chunk of money to do one huge thing, like build a big fence. Right. And they don't 
do it in small portions that they can actually be successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the top guys, like our NARS guys, I mean, they're only reforesting, you know, max five acres, like, properly in a couple weeks. Right. I mean, you're looking at, like, like Mauna Kea. Mauna Kea. I don't even know how many. Mauna Kea is tens of thousands of acres, and they look for that passive restoration, but we've found that people that are being most successful are the ones that are actually realistic. So instead of shooting all the sheep on, on Mauna Kea, which we know they had some federal mandates and right. they had a court order and they had to deal with a bunch of other stuff. But apart from that, if they had to just pick that primary palila habitat uh-huh. and they said, we're going to remove sheep from here because then they have to maintain all of the grass. We were just in there in Ka'ohe, right. in that primary palila habitat. Dude, the grass... Is, 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 is like waist high. Oh, yeah. And it used to never, ever be like that. Yeah. And you're right. One fire and every single one of those trees is gone. And one of the main things that they talk about, too, is why we have to eradicate sheep in certain areas is because of the native birds yeah. that you never see. Yeah. And then same thing comes down to that, too. You get rid of those sheep. Now, they're not eating that grass. Now it becomes a fire hazard. Then the fire comes in, burns everything through. There are no more birds. Exactly. So, so it's, I mean, it's, there is no, there's absolutely no easy answer. Yeah. And there's, I mean, they've been trying to go at it a, a bunch of different ways. We just knew on one very small scale, like for the animal side of it, you know, we just weren't happy with that management style. And we, t- I mean, as any small business owner, you take a big risk, sticking your neck out there and getting all of the things you need to build that capacity. Mm-hmm. But we just knew, like, we had to try something. Right. Like, we had, to, we had to have some mechanism so there was another option because the option right now is there's a critical watershed area or there's a place that the state, like Mauna Kea, says, oh, it's important bird, tree, or otherwise, and all of those animals die. Right. And there's very little opportunity for the hunters and or the general community to use that as a food resource. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're trying to change is, is changing that what they consider a feral invasive ungulate into a, a food resource. Right. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about later uh, as we progress in the podcast yeah. because you've got something cool coming up here. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to your process of how you're dealing with these animals okay. right now because um, we saw how you were able to go in there in a stressless environment, take out the animals, you yep. carry them out, you have a... Uh, a killer processing trailer. You have a USDA guy that watches, stamps them, yep. sends them on the way. Where do they go from there? So they actually, right now, they get shipped. They go on the boat and they okay. get shipped to our our one of our processing partners on Kauai. Okay, and he cuts them all up. Whether that's you know stuff for jerky or rib racks or whatever else, they get boxed up and then they'll get sent out to wherever they're supposed to go. Right. The thought process behind that was. We wanted to focus on building field capacity. And we were still doing something really new. Jumping into being butchers as well would be, I mean, that's a whole different industry. It's a whole different avenue. Sure. But, so, you, but you need that. We do, eventually. You know, and Maui is big enough, and there's a lot of people out there yeah. um, that you could actually probably set up. Yeah, so know, the long term. Especially in this old cane industry exactly. that's shut down. There's so many unemployed Filipino workers and stuff that you yeah. guys could probably start your own process. So we've got like a good handle on, now we feel like really comfortable with our field processes. And it wasn't even necessarily us. Like right. you know, we felt pretty good at it. It was just getting the USDA used to it. Right. Because, I mean, again, they're usually standing, you know, watching a cow 
that's squeezed in a chute that comes out of a trailer that's pissed off. Like what we're doing is the complete opposite right. of that. Yeah. So we've got my crew in a good space and the USD in a good space. And pr- the next step as a business is to figure out not just the butcher side of it, but the jerky for us is huge. Yeah. Got something that goes direct to retail. We're able to tell our story. You know, you're able to connect with a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure in the next you know, two to three years, we're going to look at how do we build capacity right there on Maui to do all of it ourselves. Because the other part of it is our, our jerky processors in Indiana, mm-hmm. and it costs a ridiculous amount of money to ship all of that raw product to him, yeah. have him make it, and ship it all back. Yeah. So it's just basic business things that we need to improve. Well, I know that uh, the ranches here, like Parker Ranch and probably some of the other ranches, cattle ranches. Yep. There is a 747 that flies in here once a week. Yeah. And they load up all their cattle yeah. onto that 747. How crazy is they that? They fly it to the mainland. They have it butchered, processed, send it back with all the same meat. Yeah. You know? And then, boom, it's out to the stores. No. And then they load it up with more cattle. Yeah. Just we keep just keep doing that. We just don't week. have the big island, especially we've only got two places where you can, you know, slaughter and process cows here, and they're maxed out. Like, that's a, and they're maxed out not only from like the number of cows that are coming in, but they, they just the space that they have, they can't build any additional capacity. So that's just one of, again, talking about our food resources. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even have, like Hawaii is so at risk. Right. Like we don't even have the function to process the food we want. Which sucks because we're in the most fucked up place. <laughs> okay, because you see what happens during 9-11. Yeah. Everything got shut down. Yeah. Airlines. Freaking uh, ships. Yeah. We couldn't get nothing in. And if, you know, we can't even process our own freaking food. Dude, where were you on that little missile scare? Oh, I was right here, dude. Yeah. That was scary as hell. Yeah. I literally got it on my phone. I ran to my bedroom to my girlfriend. My son comes running out. He's got it on his phone. Yeah. My son jumped in the bathroom, yeah. in the bathtub. Yeah. He's like, I don't know where to go. Yeah. Safe as, you know, here's reality. Is yeah. It, would, it wouldn't have hit us. Okay. I heard, they, I heard they got bad aim, but yeah. yeah. Well, they do have bad aim, <laughs> yeah. but still, you never know. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would have ran to the garage. Sure. You know, it's a concrete area down in there. But, sure. Um, yeah, thank God it wasn't real. How no. about you? No, we were, um, I was actually at home with the family too. And the first thing I did is walk downstairs and open my gun safe. I was like, we got lots of ammo and my guns right. are here and right. I looked outside and I, we've got a little farm so we got lots of animals and I'm like you know we're better prepared than most right. but you imagine a couple of my guys that I work with are on Oahu yeah. and you got three days and that whole place is out of food Oh yeah. and similar to 9-11 I'm sure we'd have had mayhem with airports I mean who knows where it might have hit yeah. but again that's just a function of if we've got this resource here why aren't we doing more to utilize it? Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. I was talking to Lisa Dorn and she was Shane was where was he? He was at Jaws. Yeah. Surfing. Yeah. Lisa was over here. She's freaking out. Oh, you know, I'm trying man. to keep her informed and everything. And yeah. So as the days have progressed, we uh started uh, you know, she's like, Okay, I'm coming up with a game plan for all my friends. I loved how Everybody just came together down at Banyans and got into the Balikai parking lot. That's sick. Hiding behind that. Um, I want to be able to do that, you know, let people know that my house is a safe house. Everybody can come up here. I'm like, no. No, you don't. No, you don't, really. That's a great thought. It's, you it's know, admirable. Uh, admirable. 
But no, what happens if something happens down there? Everybody's up at your house. You run out of food. Yeah. You know, no, you protect what is yours first yeah, and foremost. And yeah, it's tough, man. That's a tough one. Yeah. And, and you're going to run out of food really fast. Really, really fast. Like faster than anybody thinks. And it's not just Hawaii. We've actually, as a part of this project, we're going to talk about because there's so much food involved. Yeah. We were having a conversation. I was having a conversation with one of the National Geographic explorers, and she was saying that New York is even worse. Oh, I bet. Like, and you think like, I mean, they've got roads coming in one way or the other, but like they're at like two and a half days. Wow. And you think like if we're the most isolated landmass and we got three days and New York has only got like two and a half days, like that's how, that's how bad it gets in those urban centers. Yeah. And I just don't think anybody is even thinking about it. No, I don't think prepared. anybody's ready. And that, I mean, that could come in any different form. Are you prepared right now? I think I am, man. Yeah. I mean, we could... You stocked up on water, dude. I've got, I've got food. I got like ammo. I got twenty. I got lots of food. I got some ammo. I got some guns. Gas. I've, we've got, we've got a little bit of gas. I've got like, we're getting like, fifteen eggs a day. Right. We've got a bunch of sheep and animals running around. I got pigs running around all over the place. Um, but you know what? More than that, Lisa's, Lisa's right. It's having a small group of community. Right. That you know. In any event, you can count on right. and you can trust is probably your best bet. Yeah, but yeah. you can't be inviting everybody. I'm you not know saying of 30 your, people. You know? I'm saying like maybe five or six, <laughs> and and that's about it. But you need to be be prepared for that as well. Yeah, you know that whole freezer full of meat you got right now exactly isn't going to freaking last that long. No, maybe a week up yeah. there. That's why it's cold. Maybe. Yeah, but you've got. Maybe 10,000 goats running around out here. Yes, and I, I know they're not first on your menu right now. No, and I'd be totally, you haven't seen my arrow collection. Exactly. You've got, <laughs> you've got you know, enough, enough arrows hiding in this house that oh, yeah. you know you could take care of yourself. Oh, yeah. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. So, but it's everybody else I worry about. Exactly. You know? And um, it's, it's pretty tough when that shit does happen. You know, just, and it, and it happens in other places in the world, yeah. but it affects us. I mean, nobody, did anybody really get the real story out of Puerto Rico? I mean, those no. guys, I mean, all you heard is we can't get them food, you can't get them food. Right. And then it, Trump did something else crazy, and then it just goes off the news. Yeah. And that's another island that's isolated. Like, what happened there? Hey, we're about to come into hurricane season exactly. ourselves. So exactly. Yeah. It's pretty nuts. I mean, even if you take in 15 or 20 minutes to think about it when it's not in the middle of a hurricane bearing down on us. I mean, at least you're ready to survive, yeah. you know, 15 or 20 days. It's not that, not that big a deal. But, I mean, Puerto Rico, they still got, I think I was reading that 50% of the grid is still gone. <laughs> yeah, I think Tesla came in, did something. They did, they, they did, they did something, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and brought some, a lot But how well would Conatown do with no power for six months? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, see, I heard that all the uh, IV bags... Okay. In, the, in the United States are actually made in Puerto Rico. No way. So we're having an IV bag shortage because that, they can't make them and they can't get them out. That's the kind of stuff you'd never even think of, yeah. eh? Wow. So, so interesting how all of that trickles down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, uh, you've got some cool stuff coming up here because, you know, with this project that you've been working on with the ranches, getting this going with the USDA, getting the food going out there, Yeah. Um, you're also wanting to kind of help... Show the state 
yeah. to do this. And yeah, you, and, I, and you've acquired a new property. Yeah, so we've we've got. It's called the Kahikinui Project, uh-huh. and basically, about a year ago, we had kind of heard whispers of it. And, and with these watershed projects, you don't you know you don't hear a lot about it until you sometimes see a you know the the alert in the newspaper that oh we're going to be aerial shooting next week, and then you're like, what the hell, right? Um, so we got wind, and then of, we're going to open it up for you hunters yeah, the next day. Yeah, after the next that. day, yeah, yeah. Um, so we got wind of it. Um, we ended up working with it. It's a super small community, and the community is is incredible as well. There's about 15 families out there. It's on the south side of Maui. Super rugged, super remote. And in the 90s, this community said, "The hell with it. We want our land back. We don't want any infrastructure. We don't want any roads. We don't need power. We just want the land back. Right. And we want to take responsibility for the forest as well. So it's about 40,000 acres. Holy crap. And about... 4,000 of it is pristine, like, watershed forest that is on the brink. Like, there's a lot of animals up there. Right. So we started talking with the community. We, we knew they were, you know, six or seven months away from a fence being finished and then the regular steps taking place where the state comes in, aerial shoots. So we just said, hey, listen, it's not a lot of time, but we'd love to offer you an alternative. Um, so first thing we did, like we did with the, every other person we work with is we did a survey mm-hmm. so there's 12 at least 1200 head of cattle up there okay. wild cattle which you know we told people on the mainland they're like you're cattle rustlers i'm like no 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 we're not cattle rustlers right. they're wild cattle they're like what the hell is wild cattle like cattle nowhere else in north america runs wild somebody owns it right um there's probably five or six hundred deer so tw- well let's talk about how okay. cattle get wild so late 1800s Vancouver brings over, you know, a bunch, of, a bunch of animals. They start ranching in the area. The two neighbors are Ulupalakua and Haleakala Ranch. So this is a, this is a cattle ranching area. Okay. About, I'd say 20,000 acres are really good grass, kikuyu grass. So there's been three or four ranchers that have been through that place. But the top portion in that forest is so rugged, so remote, absolutely no roads, that then when these ranchers were cycling through and, and, you know, they were done and they were getting out of there, they were just leaving cows behind. Right. And now, you know, I don't think there's been a rancher in there for 15 or 20 years. Wow. And there's just, that population has just exploded. I mean, like we've talked about, Hawaii's got perfect weather, lots of feed, no predators. So cow, sheep, goat, or otherwise, they're going to prolif- proliferate really, really quickly. Right. Um, and the cattle are the ones that do actually the most damage. I mean, they just eat so much. They and look five, ten feet in front of them, take a bite, and then walk to the next up exactly. and leave everything in between. And they're, they're so much heavier on the root systems. Right. Like, you actually standing in that forest, you can tell it's on the brink. Like, there's super, super old cores that are, like, half dead. Huh. Like, it's just, you know that forest is there, and that... And that community has no water. They've right. got no infrastructure. That's their water source. So the community's made the choice that, you know, of our 40,000 acres, what, what makes up about 10% of it needs to be saved. But inside that fence and in kind of the surrounding area with the cattle is over 500,000 pounds of protein. 500,000 pounds. That's crazy. I mean, what do we eat on average a month? Like 10? That, that's about a pound and a half per, per acre. Exactly. Right? Does no. That sound right? No. no, way more. No, no, no. The per fe- foot. Per foot. Like <laughs> the, the fence unit is only 4,500 acres. You know, like. For, oh, it's 45. 
Okay. I so, was at 440,000. No, so the whole area is 40,000 acres. Okay. The fence unit is only 4,500 acres. Like it's a small space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So basically in a short period of time, we had to figure out one, how the hell are we going to get these cows off the mountain? I'm surprised how I was able to go through all that math stuff with an accounting degree. And That's I still fucked it all up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's how a, are you going to get the cows off the mountain? It's a shitload of meat. We'll just put it that way. Right. Yeah. So we helicopters. So helicopters. We had to come up with like this contraption. It's a, it's a fourteen foot cone net system. Okay. Where we can actually put it over them. They basically end up jumping in the net, and it's a cradle, and we can bring them down. Right. Um, and then we can bring that cow down, and we can get it USDA certified. As good as the USDA has been, right. throwing them in a helicopter and taking them up the mountain probably isn't an option at the moment. It may be. Right. We're talking to them about it. It's faster. It's way faster. Um, but what we're trying to do is fund enough of the project up front that we can give the rest of it away. Because it's, they're animals on Hawaiian lands. Right. And technically, they belong to Hawaiians. Sure. And we want to be able to, not only do we want to be able to give those away, but I think in giving them away, you know, if you've got to give away 20,000 pounds of meat a month, yeah. you have to engage a lot of people. But, you know, you can also... Uh you know, radio. There's radio. Yeah. There's newspapers. Yeah. Online. But that's the cool part is what we're talking about is if we have to engage that many people and all of a sudden this animal has a whole bunch of value versus it just getting shot and left. Right. What do we get to say to those people? We get to have some really cool conversations about food security mm-hmm. or the value of, you know, our, our hunting animals or all the other kind of things we've been touching on. Yeah. And so what, that's what I think is so cool about this project. We don't get to have those conversations when we work with Haleakala Ranch. It's already really cool. You know, it's an invasive species. The deer are invasive. It helps the ranchers. It's a win-win. Right. But this project is like a win-win-win-win. All the like, way down the line. All the way down and the line. educating everyone involved. Exactly. Yeah. So you show up in Waianae with 40,000 pounds of meat in the back of your, your, your cooler truck. Right. And you unload it all, and everybody's going to be standing there like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> what do you get to say to those people? You yeah. get to say, hey, this is yours. That's yeah. why we're here. We're not donating it. We're not giving it away. This is yours. We're this giving is it. how we got it. And this is how we got it. And hey, maybe look in your backyard to see what you got around. Because why not? He's got a bunch of goats. Right. Yeah. So it's, I think it's a cool project because people will connect with it in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, in a really simple sense, like we talked about with the deer, it's a 100% wild animal. This is grass-fed grass finished all natural like every label all of these big companies want to put on their beef this is it sure it's i mean it's 100 percent organic there's nothing up there so it's an incredible source of meat it's a really really interesting way to handle management versus the alternative mm-hmm. and basically the only way we pull it off because we only they're only giving us 24 months right I told them, hey, we could do this over five years and be way more effective. They're like, no, you got 24 months. Show us you can do it or else we're going to take care of it. Sure. And so the only way to do that is, is via crowdfunding. So what we're planning to start is a Kickstarter. And that Kickstarter is an avenue to, first and foremost, like reach a ton of people. Only way you're you know, successful with a Kickstarter is if you got a ton of people talking about it mm-hmm. and they're all talking about some type of the message that they connect with. And then you get direct to retail. UPS guy. Okay. You get direct, not to retail, you get direct to your customer. Mm-hmm. So all those Kickstarters 
they all come on board. They pledge. I mean, they're buying your jerky at kind of a premium, but every one of those people is coming and saying, hey, we support what you're doing, right. so we're going to buy some jerky. And then what we're thinking is if we can sell, the math right now looks like if we can sell about 30% of those cows, mm-hmm. we can give every single other animal away. Right. Yeah. That's so, huge. So, yeah, the Kickstarter's um, going to go live February 23rd to April 10th. Okay. Plan is to get a bunch of people up there talking about it. Uh-huh. You know, everybody's going to come up having some different way to connect with it, right? Right. I mean, you come up there as a hunter and, and you find value in that animal. Mm-hmm. We bring up a bird nerd and they find value in, it's an area that is a almost um, extinct bird, the kivikio, that is mm-hmm. like natural habitat. There's tons of different ways to connect with it and it's all positive. Right. Vers- now, what is the state's long-term plan with that property? So... It's it's supposed to, it's going to be reforested. Okay. So the idea, and again, we're talking about water, is that forest is going to be ten times more effective in capturing water for that community right. once they reforest that area. So they got lots of money for the fence, and there's lots of money to put trees back in the ground. But like we talked about, the the state is never going to allocate money to bring those animals out and eat them. They've sure. got money allocated to shoot them, sure. just not to bring them out and eat Are them. Are you going to do a full eradication of all those animals? Yeah. Animals? So, okay. And that wasn't our choice. You know, Part of the conversation we had with them, just like we had about fire, was, hey, listen, you know, do we want to leave some portion of these animals in to, to like mitigate that fire issue? It's just it's too far out of the realm. It's, it's, right. it's, it's outside of the box right now. Right. And... You know, you never know. We'll see what happens when we get there. Because what's super interesting is Kaikinui, that whole backside, I don't know if you remember, they had one of the largest fires of the year this year. Oh, yeah. It burned like 50,000 acres. And it just wouldn't go out. Dude, and crazy enough, all of those areas that all of the cattle had grazed down mm-hmm. stopped that fire. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, it comes back to like basic management strategies. Yeah. So, but it... The cool part is if we have that platform, if we get, you know, buddies like Shane or folks that, you know, actually have an influence mm-hmm. on social media, you know, you talking about it is, is a huge help. Um, you get to have those conversations because right now, like we said, Kohatsu's bang, banging his head against the wall. Right. You know, t- reaching an audience of 10 or 15 people and he's trying to champion it by himself. Mm-hmm. So hopefully there's a little bit of a social movement on this one backed by this incredible meat source that can help us you know, have some of those conversations. No, so, I, absolutely. And I'm totally down to do whatever I can to make this happen. Well, we're going to have you up and there. promote it. I, yeah. Please. We, I need free, we need labor guy, big time. <laughs> I'm there. I'm a hard worker. Yeah, yeah. I'm a hard worker and I'm a good shot. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I'm, I'm really, really excited. And when you brought this up to me the other day, yeah. um, I got so excited. I got off the phone with you and... I was just dancing around, and I'm telling Jamie, oh, my God, yeah, I'm so stoked. Jake's going to come over here. We're going to talk about some really cool shit. Well, and I'm, I'm super excited, too, because you, you, you put your head straight down in the sand, and you dig into these projects, and then you come up. And when I realized that I actually needed like broad community support to make this mm-hmm. happen, when I go into like a Haleakala ranch, I need to make sure it works well. I need the USDA support. Right. I need to make sure I can sell it so my business functions. But when I realized I had a short period of time, and the only way for me to do it was to get like a social following to make it happen. It completely changes your business. Like all of a sudden I had to become a storyteller. Right. Dude, I'm a hunter. Yeah. Like I'm having conversations with all these guys. Like how do I tell this story? How do we actually Without have an impact? pissing people off. Exactly. And you know what? We're going to piss people off. Oh, guaranteed. Because 
there's still going to be the hunter that says, hey, I want to go up there and do the hunting. And you know what? I, I'm for trophy hunting if that's what you love. I'm for subsistence hunting if that's what you love. Like we were talking about earlier, like if you're in there connecting with that natural space, hey, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. But this project... Um, it's going to happen whether you want it to exactly. or not. And we know we're going to fuck up. We know we're going to make mistakes. Right. But we're going to do the best we can in those 24 months to get every single one of those animals out. And bring them back out to the community. And get somebody to eat them. And so that means me calling, you know, that's probably going to be me calling the hunters on Maui and say, hey, listen, I probably can't have all of you come up and hunt. But if you really are for subsistence food, can you guys come help us debone these cows? Right. Like we're going to bring them all out. We're going to process them all. We're going to get them all to the communities. Are you guys willing to come out and help? And you're going to see those hunters that are really there saying, no, the food is more, most important, and those hunters that just want to pull the trigger. And you know what? Either one is fine. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. I, I'm, I've been in both of those places. If I, if I get in my truck and drive two hours to Kapapala to chase one mouflon with a big stack of horns, I ain't doing it for food. Right. Come on. Yeah. Like, I got pigs in my backyard. If right. I want to shoot them in my backyard, I'm doing it because it's a challenge and, and I want to find that particular animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, this, this project is about food, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, we do a lot of eradications here on Mauna Kea and stuff like that. Yeah. Majority of the time, they go in there with a helicopter, they shoot them all down, they leave the bodies. Yeah. I've been in there multiple times afterwards and it's just bodies. Yeah. I've seen holes pushed up by bulldozers with nothing but carcasses. Yeah. Just waiting to get covered. Yeah. Um, instead of just saying, hey, you know what? We're going to do this. And they do it every once in a blue moon. Yeah. And they'll let the public know, hey, we're going to do an eradication. Yeah, they do we're sometimes. We're going to pick them up. And we're going to, if you park here, we're going to bring all these yeah. sheep or whatever it is. Yeah. And it works, man. People are there. Yeah. Picking pick them up. up, man. Yeah. So, you know, now that we get this going with you, you know. I don't want to buy my steak in the store. Yeah, of course. I want to get my steak from you. Well, and that's a function of like... And I want to help protect everything, my watershed and everything that's out there. I have conversations with a bunch of people and they're so far disconnected from their food. Like yeah. some, some people even ask me, how do I hunt? Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't even know the process to do it and they're genuinely curious about figuring out how to get their own food right. because we're so far removed from it. Yeah. Like nobody ever sees a cow get shot in a slaughter. I mean, none of our beef no. people are going to show that portion of, but I think, I, I think that's in, changing. Unless it's an activist showing yeah. that, hey, this is And it's brutal. usually something brutal, yeah. but we show people how we harvest those deer. The right way. The right way. And, you know, people still grimace when they see that animal die and we understand sure. it. Like, there is no part of the process of actual killing that we enjoy. In any of the hunting no, I do. exactly. No, it's the hunting, the killing part sucks. But you enjoy every single moment up to it and you enjoy every single minute up to it sure. after it, including eating it and including me and you checking out your unbelievable fallow deer that you shot Thanks, know, in buddy. Australia. Yeah. But, but that's a memory all of those things are enjoyed. That, that killing portion has nothing to do with right, it. Right, and a lot of people are anti even having such as my fellow deer up on the yeah. wall. But, you know, that's where, you know, the story of what I told you of how I was able to get up onto Which that animal. Everything man. That it took to be able to harvest that animal. Yeah. To eat him, you know. Um, he was already super, super mature. Yeah. You know, animal right there. Yeah. But now he also gets to live on. Right here on my wall. Yeah. You know? 
And uh, I've also made room for some of the younger animals to come up and start spreading their yeah. you know, yeah, genetics I mean, shooting, and stuff. So Shooting trophy animals, I mean, it's not even an argument anymore. Like It is the best way to manage like overall herds. Absolutely. And, you know, we've been shooting and eating animals for 95% of our existence. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there isn't probably solid science behind this, but our brains are hardwired to enjoy the process or else why would we have not, why would we have survived? Right. Like, and again, I don't think we're hardwired to enjoy the kill. I think we're hardwired to enjoy all of the work that goes up to it. You were telling me about your trip to Idaho, right? For the yep. elk. You told me that whole story and you were so stoked in reliving it. Did you bring any elk meat home? Nope. No, dude. You enjoyed the entire Never trip. Never saw an elk, man, Exactly. I had a blast. Exactly. We've been hardwired. In a tent snowed in with three <laughs> other guys. <laughs> I remember seeing that picture and thinking, For a week oh, and a half. brutal. Stinking. Nobody even talking to each other anymore. Yeah, because it's miserable. It's miserable. How? How... How can we come back and think so fondly of that (laughs) misery if we haven't been hardwired as a species to to enjoy that process? I mean, that's the only way we survived. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things. That's always a super tough argument. Like you hear, and but it's getting better. Like it's changing. Like you hear, like guys like Joe Rogan or Steve Rinella or these guys that are like adamant, like the the crazy vegetarian out there. That potentially doesn't understand that. Yeah, and I, hopefully they do after listening listening I mean, to this it's show. Some of it, or, yeah, you know, yeah, and just get it just a little bit. I've converted. Know? It's it's like uh, maybe it's it's on maybe a personal level, but I've converted three vegetarians. Did you really like hardcore vegetarians that had watched, you know, some of those crazy documentaries, and they just that was the information they consumed, mm-hmm. and they said that's enough for me to vegetarian to be to become a vegetarian. Yeah, and I told them about what we do, and I show them what we do, and they said, "Wait a second, again, like that's best for the animal." You're talking right. about balanced herds; everybody's healthy. It's best for the the rancher. It's best for the environment. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they put that thing in their mouth, and they're just like, "Wait a second, like, my body's feeling." Where has this protein been my whole right. for the past two years? I've decided to do this. I was listening to Joe's podcast the other day. It's one of my favorite podcasts, yeah. you know, and um, he had Cameron Haynes on there, mm. and. Guy's a legend. Absolutely, man. And so uh, they were talking about this one friend of Joe's that uh, went to the doctor, and the doctor's like, hey, look, man, uh, you're having all kinds of problems right now. Yeah. You need to start eating some meat. Yeah. You know, so the guy started eating meat. He was full-on PETA guy, didn't want to kill animals. No way. Um, Always full-blown vegan, right? Yeah. So he starts eating meat. He feels himself getting better, um, stronger, you know, yep. uh, more energy. Uh, then he was like, you know what? If I'm going to start eating meat, I want to be able to harvest my own Isn't meat because I want to know where eh? it comes from. Isn't that interesting? And so uh, he had Joe start teaching him how to hunt. Sick. And and everything about it. Now the guy's a full-blown, goes out there, harvests his own animals, brings them home. Yeah. The guy's healthy as hell now. Yeah. You know? And uh, he's not shoving his values down other people's faces either. Exactly. So that's the that's the one thing for me is you know I, we get a lot of vegans. I, if I post an animal of something I've harvested or yep. whatever, I get a lot of shit. You know, mm-hmm. I've had 
you know, and Brazilians are really, really bad. South American people. Really? Oh, my God. There I was didn't realize one, that. There was one time where Kelly Slater uh, oh, man. posted a picture of me. Okay. Uh, it was my birthday. We were in Fiji, and he had just slapped my ass, and his handprints on my ass. Okay. okay? <laughs> and so a minute before he posted that picture, yeah. I posted a picture of me with a big boar I just shot. Sick. You know? Yeah. And so... Um, automatically, everybody that looked oh. at that picture was like, who the hell is Dozer Dave? Went over to yours. Went over to mine, and then, oh my God, you oh. just freaking... No. Dude, it went so gnarly. People were going, you should fucking kill your mother and then kill yourself. Just some gnarly shit. You know, I was just like, whoa, thanks, Kelly, for posting that, you know? But how did we get there? Like, like yeah. I said, for 95% of our existence, somebody went out and shot that animal. Yeah. And... Most of the time, it got brought home, skinned, used as much of it as you could. You ate all of it. Everybody had backyard chickens. Like, we're so far disconnected from that imagery that what you're doing seems so extreme right. to most of those people. And that's when, you know, we're talking to these, these different people. We were having a really cool conversation with Epic Bar, who's mm. like probably one of the biggest protein bar producers. Sure. And they're like, dude, we encourage you to show everything. Yeah. And I'm just like, really? Like, that's not like a, they're like, we don't care. Like, it's time. Yeah. Like, you want to show, like, dead and that's, cows on That's taking a huge step. That's right a huge though. step for that's those companies to step. take those types of risks. Yeah. But I, I think people are ready. And especially when you got spokesmen like you guys and Joe Rogue and everybody else that are talking about it and normalizing that conversation. Right. It's going to get there because. Well, that's where it's got to be. It's got to be a normal be. conversation. It's it be. can't be a just, you know, like, like I get a lot from the vegans. Ah, in your face, you're fucked. You know, you yeah. should be eating meat. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I don't do that to you. No, you know. Yeah. Hey, eat what you want to eat. Yeah. Okay, that's your deal. But I'm not going to throw it in your freaking face. And I always, I always ask them, Hey, where did this start? Right. And ninety percent of it came from some extreme documentary. Sure. That pulls one side of it. Sure. That. And, and they just latched onto it and they didn't ask for any other information. But it was really cool. I was talking to this guy the other day and we were talking about the subject. And I said, you know, he's a typical guy that goes into KTA, grabs a steak. And he said, I don't even want to learn about it because it's just going to be too expensive. Right. Like it's, it's not that they are necessarily concerned about the welfare of the animal. Mm -hmm. They're concerned about the welfare of themselves because as soon as they know... Then ultimately, every time they choose to buy an animal that they don't know where it comes from, they're making a conscious choice. Sure. So it's easier to be disconnected and not have to choose to care about where your food comes from or whether it's got GMOs in it or pesticides in it. I mean, that's a general food conversation. It's just easier not to know for most people. Yeah. But you've got some really cool companies out there that are, that are going to start to change that. You even got some of our hunting companies... Um, Sitka Gear and First Light are doing this, mm. and they want to normalize the hunting conversation. Right. They want hunting to be the exact same thing as if you and your buddies are going out kayaking or right. going hiking or doing any of these outdoor activities in these public lands on the mainland. They're trying to normalize that conversation so that those public lands are always protected for hunting as well. Right. How are they going to do that? 
They're trying because people have been battling to do that for a long time. You know what they're doing? They're changing the way they tell their stories. Okay. So just the way me and you talked about, you went to Idaho and you didn't shoot anything, but you still enjoyed that process. Right. They're changing the way they focus their storytelling. They're focusing it on, you know, you absolutely dying coming up a hill to get to your next lookout spot. They're mm-hmm. focusing on. You know, you with your buddies telling terrible stories and saying shit you probably shouldn't in the middle of the bushes, stuck in seven feet of snow. They're focusing on all of the misery, which we seem to enjoy. Right. And they're paying less attention to the actual kill. Right. So they are the anti, they call it the grip and grin. Right. And that's, you, I noticed that a, a few of the TV shows are starting to do that, yeah. you know, and they go out with their family and friends and they do an incredible hunt and they show every single thing it took to get to that point and they may get to where that animal is and they don't get the shot mm. or they don't kill it but they make a full episode yeah. out of that yeah. instead of uh, a show that showcases four different hunters and every single time they kill something yeah you know and it's like yeah me and my buddies exactly you know but more people are going to connect to that story than watching four animals die in a 15-minute period of time. Sure, absolutely. Right? So that's how they normalize that conversation. Okay. That's how they make it relatable to those people ultimately are just enjoying that natural space. Mm-hmm. Again, they don't enjoy the act of killing. That's a part of the process. Right. But if they normalize the rest of it, and including the food after, which they're doing a really good job doing, then you start to look way more similar to the kayaker or the hiker or somebody else that's just there for that space. And dude, if they keep, and it's risky because the hunting industry is built on the grip and grin. I mean, every, every hunting magazine you see has somebody holding a huge whitetail on the cover. Absolutely. I mean, these guys are taking the opposite approach and they're crossing their fingers at worst, but they're making that change because they want to make a social change, just right. like we're talking about. Good for that, man. Yeah. I'm super, super stoked. Yeah. So the more of those guys that are willing to step out and do that, um, I think it just brings more value to our hunting communities. Mm-hmm. And you're going to start to get the vegan or the guy that buys a steak saying, hey, wait a second. Like, right. I want to try that. Dude, I've taken out a ton of guys and half the time we're successful. I mean, you know those first I mean, the first person you take out, like, they're too nervous to shoot anything anyway. Those guys are so stoked. Right. Like, they'll, even if they never go again, they're going to tell that story to their buddies for the next 10 years. Oh, for sure. But that's because they're doing something we've done for the past 10,000 years. Oh, yeah. Like, they went out there looking for something. They had to be super attuned to what was happening around them, what way the wind was coming, you know, what the weather was doing, all of those things that they never have to pay attention to because they can just look it up on their damn iPhone. Yeah, for sure. So those are, I mean, the more people we get doing those kind of things, it normalizes food conversations. It normalizes the conversation of, you know, taking animals so you can eat them. Right. And maybe more importantly, it is going to help protect our natural places. Right. Those wide open spaces that we need here in Hawaii so that they're not encroached on by houses and everything else, so that there's always places for us to go and do those things, whether you're a hiker or a hunter. Yeah. 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 You know, one of the great things is, you know, our, our access to air and stuff that we're getting is pretty much vegan anyway. You know, exactly. They're vegans. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. eating vegan food. They're organic. They're gluten-free. It's as healthy as it gets, man. Healthy as it gets. They're super delicious. Yeah. I love it. Um, I've loved where this podcast has gone. It's been Yeah, a, I don't know really, if it was supposed to go that way, but yeah. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's been a really good podcast. Um, you know, we've uh 
I got a question I ask every every single person that's on my, okay. on my show. I think I've heard this one, man. You've heard this one. Uh, have you ever experienced anything supernatural while you... Because you're out there, dude, in the cool, dark. Oh, man. Or aliens okay, or anything so I'm gonna like let that. You, I'm going to let you pick a category, okay? Because okay. I've got a decent ghost story. I'm going to give you three. You're going to give me three? I'm going to give you three. Okay. I'm, three stories. Okay. Okay. So let's start with aliens. Okay. So at least... Four times now okay. in the same spot. And now we mentioned earlier, we've got some pretty cool technology right. that can pick up some, some thermal heat signatures. Right. Um, several miles off the coast of Maui, we've seen objects that move in ways planes absolutely cannot move. Right. And the problem is when you're picking up a heat signature at that distance, you don't get like a lot of clarity. Okay. But, I mean, you know instinctively and intuitively... Oh shit, that is not supposed to move like that. That's not an airplane. And we've seen a couple from further away, and we've seen some really close when we didn't have equipment that was just lights. Right. And now you can see them with your naked eye as oh, well, too. Absolutely, man. Okay. And it's because you know, they just had that thing we were talking about. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. the cave paintings, ten thousand yeah, year old cave paintings. Yeah. That had freaking astronauts and aliens and yeah. UFOs. Yeah. You know? Crazy. What did they have? I just remember. NASA just posted a job description like two months ago or three months ago. It was um, intergalactic protection officer. Oh, sign me up. I'm dude, there. Dude, and the, the whole point, <laughs> this guy, uh, the base salary was like $250,000. You know who Even we listen, you know who we listen to all the time? George. <laughs> you know who George Norrie is? Yeah. Okay, so we work at night. So that's the only radio station on at night that we catch. Right. So George is just spitting gems at us all night long. We're just like, what the <laughs> hell? And he's talking about this intergalactic protection officer. And NASA is now paying somebody quietly under the table that's crazy. to protect us from interplanetary threats. Wow. So, I mean, in the same thing, NASA's... They're like, out there, dude. Dude, NASA's already told the, us... Those, those cave paintings, India, this government of India asked the British... Science agency and NASA to come out and say study these and say what the hell are they? Yeah, it's it's a I'm a I think I'm a pretty good realist. Okay. And when NASA tells me it is statistically impossible now that they have a better understanding of what the universe looks like, it's statistically impossible we're alone. Absolutely. I mean, it's a no brainer, man. So they're they're there's, there. There's too much history dating back way back. Yeah. From like this 10,000-year-old Indian thing to the Mayans, to the Aztecs, to the Africans. Absolutely. They all, Egyptians, they all have the same stories, same shapes, same everything. Yeah. I totally believe they're out there. They're probably living here right now. It's, I want to see one. It's far too much of a one. coincidence with all that information. And like you said, social media and all of these things are, they've got their positive and their benefits, but... One huge benefit is people can get information out so quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's pretty hard to stop it these days, and I'm sure some of it's still filtered, but aliens, yeah, probably big thumbs up from okay, me. ghosts. Ghosts. So I, I actually a got good a ghost story. I've actually got a, it's actually a cool one, and it's, it's not creepy, which is which opposite of, of probably most of the ones you've heard. So when I was a little kid, we had a cabin um, in like a pretty remote location, and one of the fourth or fifth nights my parents were telling me that we were there we usually only stayed in the summer and we'd come during the the colder months every once in a while mm -hmm. they heard some somebody walking upstairs and my dad runs upstairs and he's getting ready to yell like get your ass back in bed and all of a sudden he's like shit everybody's sleeping and he goes <laughs> back downstairs 
Here's somebody walking again, comes upstairs, and he's like, what the fuck is going on? Sounds like mine. Yeah, <laughs> but one thing he noticed that he said was like really compelling the second time we walked up there, and we were in like kind of the attic space, is how incredibly warm it was. Mm. Opposite of the cold. And so for the next like three nights that we were there, they listened, and they could actually hear something or someone walking in between our beds like all night long and my mom and dad swear that they were warming up the room wow and because you had no heater because we had no no heater it was freezing cold and in the summer we never heard it in like there's wasn't like this is a cabin so it's not like there's like copper pipes that would be creaking right. or something else. Like right. it was consistent, like old single wood floors. Like you can hear everything. Right. And my dad used to stand underneath it and like track where this thing was walking. And the nights they heard it upstairs was significantly warmer. Wow. And about two years later, same thing would always happen. We would come in the cold. Two years later, my aunt came with her three kids and her three kids were sleeping upstairs. And she started hearing it. She's like, oh, those fucking kids running around. She's like, no, 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 that's just the ghost. A man was like, what? What? <laughs> like, no, no, no. Like, it's fine. It warms up the room. It's like. Watches over the kids. No, it's good. Like, we, it's a positive vibe. Like, it's good. Yeah. She lost her shit. She ran upstairs, grabbed the kids, pulled them down, started like yelling and screaming, freaked out. Never heard it again. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Spoiled it for everybody. Yeah. So, it was. Uh, but that's a positive one. Like, I mean, anytime you're in Hawaii, because there is so much mana in different yeah. pl- in these different places like i think you feel it but that is that's probably one of the cooler ghost stories for sure yeah what about anything that you because i said three okay so i just got one more something you just can't explain <sighs> so we were on Kauai, and so again that thermal imagery we were doing a survey early in the morning up on the top in the alakai bog mm-hmm. where um everything is really wet really cold so anything that is warm stands out like nothing so sure. we can find pigs we see every single bird we see everything else we are flying over this area and i see actually the exact same size of this table i see a super hot like heat signature and the only time i ever see something like that on the ground i've seen it like at in like volcano like i can see like a vent right. and stuff right or the only other time something like that sometimes picks up is if a cow has laid down all night in a single spot. When it gets up to move in the first like 15 minutes, you can still see its heat signature. Right. So I, in passing, I see it and I tell the pilot, okay, stop, slow down because we have to get imagery of everything. And I'm starting to look and then I have him come over and hover and you're expecting to see like a pig run out or something else. And we're hovering straight over this thing. It's a perfect fucking circle. Mm. Like perfectly dimensioned, like under this tree right and it is smoking hot like it's got to be at least 110 degrees wow and we know for sure it's not a thermal vent and it's in the middle of the forest like in the middle of absolutely nowhere right and we had to continue on with the survey and i told the guys on Kauai, i said you gps this point and you come back and look at this thing and i've never had a chance to go back and look at it but that is hands down one of the most and you imagine like we have our head buried in this sure. equipment for tens of thousands of hours right. so we can pick up anything and that is hands down the funkiest thing i have ever seen that's crazy because there's only what four by four yeah a perfect circle perfect circle and like you could tell there was depth to the heat as well right 
So it wasn't like there was, it was uh, something on the surface. You could tell there was depth to it because it was really hot. So it was like whatever that heat was, was, was going straight down in a perfect huh. circle. So that's either, I mean, what is that? Like a military bunker in the middle of the mountain? Maybe. Or. What about like uh, somebody doing like a Kahlua pig or something? No way. I but mean, there was no bodies around it. Dude, we're talking like. We're in the very middle of the Alakai Bog, in the very center of Kauai, right. at the high, one of the highest points. Right. Like you can't walk there if you want to. <laughs> like you, there's no way you get there, and it is. It was almost at one of the high, one of the highest points. So you're building a cave. That means you're coming in from, you're going three thousand feet vertical straight up. Wow. To create some type of like man-made heat source. That's nuts. So that was that's that's on the top of our list for sure of some funky stuff that we've seen. So there's three for you. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was good, dude. Yeah. Now thanks for being on the show. But um before we leave, where can everybody find you? Okay, so um the Kahikinui Project has a website website www. You want to spell that because a lot of people don't yeah, speak K A H I uh, K-A-N-U-I, Kahikinui Project. If you just Google, you can even guess it. Right. Um, do you, can you throw links in your podcast? Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll throw that in there. The Kickstarter is live February 23rd. Like we were talking about, it's probably, it's probably the greatest jerky on earth. Yeah. Not just for how healthy it is, but for the impact. Oh, I had it. It's yeah. insane. I mean, it tastes super good, but it, it can have a real impact. Right. Like you purchasing that jerky makes a real difference. So if you are an epic bar eater or anybody else that goes over there and grabs that type of protein, you want to make the choice to support the project. It's an easy way to do so. Yeah. So we can throw the Kickstarter link on there. But if you go to, go to Kickstarter and just look up the Kahikinui project, and then the Kahikinui project has an IG, and starting at the beginning of the Kickstarter, we're basically going to go semi-live for the okay. entire Kickstarter period. So you want to dive in and see what it's all about. You can come follow us on Instagram and... and Excuse me, man. It's pretty. It's, right. it's pretty exciting. Yeah, um, I'm really excited about all of this. Now you can find you on Instagram for Deer for Dinner. Deer for Dinner is my personal one. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're gonna. They can follow you when you come up and visit us for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Maybe what we can do is even. Uh, you know, I did my first live podcast with mm. Ozo Motley. Over the holidays. Cool. It was so good. Sick. But maybe what we can do is uh, right before we get everything started up, get a whole bunch of people together over on Maui. Yeah. And then maybe I can come over. We can do the same thing well, for maybe all the people sh- that haven't been yeah. able to see it. But we can get them all right there. Cool. And I know you know guys like Shane and Mark Healy. Yeah, and get all the A bunch of guys are going to come over and, and support the project the best way they know how. So whoever's there, like I said, everybody's going to connect to the project a different way. So hearing everybody's mana'o on whether it's food or culture or mm-hmm. the forest or water, it's, yeah, it'd be cool to get a, a full conversation going, man. Get a full conversation going and letting everyone get educated by all yeah, of this. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah, dude. I'm stoked. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you being here, and uh, I'm excited to see how things are going. Um, one of the things that BJ told me was that you used to be a uh, pretty badass volleyball player. Dude, I thought I thought we weren't going to get there. Yeah. No, we can cut that off from this <laughs> no, podcast. No, 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 you can edit I it out. Leave that in there. Um, yeah, I grew up in northern Canada, played hockey till our parents were too broke to buy skates. Yeah. Volleyball was like literally the cheapest option you needed knee pads and happened to be pretty good at it i played with our national and olympic team and then hawaii recruited me nice to come play so i played for the university of hawaii for four years i played pro for three years got to do like 
Bali, Indonesia, all wow. over Europe. Like it was such a like it was the perfect excuse out of college to go visit all these countries, get like completely immersed because they usually had like one pro player per team. Sure. So you get like completely thrown into these situations. Still got to do what I loved. Um, met my wife like in my third season on Molokai, and I was done. And, yeah. And but it was a great way to experience Europe, like lots of people want to do. And I still. I, I kick it around every once in a while, but yeah, I, I think I, I think I'm done, man. I've traded it in for for hunting. It's a much Hell bigger yeah. passion right now. But yeah, it's it was it was a lot of fun for a while and a great avenue to see a bunch of people. And ultimately, it brought me to Hawaii. So yeah, hunting yeah. is definitely the thing that changes our lives. That's for sure. And Absolutely, that was the whole inspiration for me to start this podcast. I told you in the beginning. Yeah, was, man. You know, hey, I want this thing. That my whole goal is, I told Shane was. I want this thing to get so good that people are going <laughs> to invite me to come hunt their properties and podcast just, before you, everyone. Like Shane, you look at his Instagram. You know, yeah. come hunt my place in Montana, bro. Like, I got massive bucks in the guy. How many your offers name on does it. he get? I'm like lots, exactly, lots, ridiculous I amount. I want that. Yeah, so. and you can see he's just struggling between like accepting every single one and staying home because he loves his kids. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but. We've got unbelievable hunting right here in Hawaii. Yes, we do. We have actually the best, 365 days a year. Absolutely, man. So we'll, we'll see you up there. And if it works out to do another podcast, man, we'll be pumped. I'm sure we'll have some other. Hell yeah. I got a bunch of crack ups on my crew. So as long as we don't give them any beer, <laughs> it'll, I think you'll be able to record most of it. But if you do, we can put a little note at the beginning of that episode to watch out. So. Yeah, maybe some yeah. Uh, closed captioning on it <laughs> <Yeah>. or something. <laughs> Well, thanks, Jake, for being on the show. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, uh, hooey ho. Thanks, Jake, for being on the show. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, special thanks to our sponsors for making this happen, such as Oakley. They have the best prism sunglasses on the planet. Uh, their prism lenses are insane, man. Whether you surf, fish, snowboard, uh, bike, you name it, Iron Man, they've got you covered in every way, shape, and form. Um, so go check them out at oakley.com. If you're ever in Venice Beach, then you have to go check out Deuce Gem. Um, this place is, is legit, man. You're going to be able to get any kind of workout you desire, whether it's uh, CrossFit, cross training, uh, strength training, cardio, weightlifting, you name it. They've got it. They'll take care of you. Logan and Lindsay and the rest of the crew there are awesome people. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Deuce Gym or go to their website at deucegym.com. If you're ever in Kona and you want to uh, get some killer, killer coffee, then you got to go to Kona Coffee and Tea. They have the best coffee on the planet. We all know Kona Coffee is the best. i got to take a drink right here. Uh, yeah. Uh, they grow this stuff up on the slopes of Hualalai. Roast it, bring it down to us fresh every single day. And uh, it is the best crack on the planet, man. It wakes you up, gets you going, clears your mind. Oh, I love this stuff. Go check them out, KonaCoffeeNT.com. You can find them on all social media, the same thing. And uh, tell them you heard it on Doe's Nose. They'll get you all dialed in. Uh, also, Mokalele Airlines is a family-owned and operated business that tries to make your inner island travel as easy and affordable 
is possible with over 120 flights daily throughout the Hawaiian Islands with no TSA. Why would you not want to book your next trip or upcoming vacation with Mogalele Airlines? And guys, Mogalele flies all over Southern California too. So go check them out. You know, they fly out of LAX. You name it, just all over Southern California. So it's not just here in Hawaii, but it's SoCal. And I know there's a lot of people listening out there in SoCal. So you guys, book your little quick little flights, man. And don't worry about any of the bullshit that goes involved with freaking going to the airport. Because these guys are awesome. The flights are super comfortable. They're fast. They're friendly. (coughs) And no bullshit. That's the biggest thing. No bullshit. Um, We've got a really, really killer promo that's about to start here April 1st um, and it's going to go through the summer and if you book promo code Doze Knows you get 10% off your flight so you guys definitely want to check that out that starts April 1st do not forget about that 10% off man they already got super cheap flights let's get them down even cheaper I love that shit um, go check them out at mokalele.com or you can find them on Facebook at Mokulele, a Twitter at Mokulele Air, and on Instagram at Mokulele Airlines. Um, GoPro, uh, what began as an idea to help athletes self-document themselves engaged in the sport, GoPro has become a standard for how people capture themselves engaged in their interests, whatever they may be, from extreme to mainstream, professional to consumer, GoPro enables the world to capture and share its passion in the form of immersive and engaging content. For more information, go to GoPro.com or you can find them on all media outlets such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, LinkedIn, and um, they've got some pretty badass cameras out there, man. That new GoPro 6 is ridiculous. Ridiculous, ridiculous. It's fucking badass. And they have that new Prism camera. And the drone, the Karma drone, oh my God. Yeah, some really, really cool shit. So go check them out. And you also want to check out Hurley Clothing because all the top surfers, snowboarders, skaters are all riding for Hurley. Yeah, and Does Knows Podcast is sponsored by Hurley. So I'm going to be wearing their stuff. I want you to be wearing their stuff. They have the best clothes, wetsuits, whatever it is you guys want, they've got it. Um, go check them out at Hurley.com. And uh, hopefully we get some promo codes coming from these guys here pretty quick. Because I love uh, their shit. Um, Kona Boys. Uh, you guys know I'm a big fan of the ocean. I picked the Big Island to be my home because of its amazing waters. But if you plan on spending time in my backyard, then you guys got to go to Kona Boys. They've been serving up gear for island life and aloha since 1996. They're the one-stop shop for ocean fun. They operate a legit selection of local-style activities, including historical va'a rides, paddleboard tours, and lessons. And they're one of the only companies permitted to do kayak tours in Kealakekua Bay. So if you need rentals for boards, bikes, boogies, or other beach goodies, Kona Boys is your spot. They have two locations, one down at the King Kamehameha Beach Hotel, um, right on the ocean, and the other one down in Captain Cook, their main store, where you... You can get anything you want from all different kinds of clothing lines to Patagonia. You name it, surfboards, stand-up paddleboards, skateboards. They got it all, man. Go check them out. Um, if you're on the island and you go to one of their stores, 
Uh, make sure you tell them you heard it on Dozno's. You get 15% off. Make sure you tell them your comma in a two because that'll give you another 20% off. <laughs> um, or if you're online, um, go check them out at konoboys.com where uh, enter in promo code Dozno's, you get another 15% off. I love that shit, man. Promo codes. Promo codes. Um, original Nutritionals. They're not just your regular meathead supplement brand. Um, they are just essential food and supplements to support what we call a clean athlete lifestyle. My buddy Logan founded the company with a food-first approach, working with average men and women like you and I to the best action sports stars and team sport athletes in the world. These guys know how to do it right. They have all the good stuff from the whey protein powders, goat whey, um, amino amino acids, freaking um, fish oils. Oh, yeah, I take this shit all the time. So go check them out at OriginalNutritionals.com and enter in promo code DOZNOS at checkout. Get 15% off. Gotta love that, man. Gotta love it. We've got so many cool things going on here. Um, green organic energy drink. Dude, they, these guys are so legit. They've got three flavors. They've got the original, which is um, <clears throat> green tea, coconut juice, and kale. It just came out with two new flavors, guava and pineapple. They have a fourth new flavor coming out here really, really soon. Um, go check them out. It's all organic. It's all vegan. It's good for you. I'm not a vegan, but if you're a vegan, you're going to love this stuff too. Get you going. Oh, my God. I love it. So, uh, drinkgreenenergy.com. Check them out. All right, guys. I love you guys. Thank you all for tuning in. And uh, until next time, a hooey ho. Everybody knows those, and if you don't know, now you know.